incoming transmission from Podfleet Command on screen. Welcome to the debut episode of Trek Geeks Picard Live. My name is Barry DeFord, and I will be your inner light of remembrance while we look back at what was the premiere Star Trek, uh, the premiere of Star Trek Picard. And the episodes to come, I can't imagine what we have coming next. So also, you'll notice I'm using a slightly uh, older shuttlecraft, so I hope nobody gets too mad on that one. But uh, there are some constructive points made there, and we will be getting into the good, the bad, the ugly, the wonderful, the brilliant, and the powerful of what is now the newest series of Star Trek in our lives. So this broadcast is streaming live on YouTube and on Facebook. And Picard Live, like all Trek Geeks shows, is proud to have Fansets as our presenting sponsor. So first of all, I would just like to make a, uh, make a little point that I'm really happy to be here and I'm really happy to be sharing this with everybody on the, uh, the Facebooks and the, uh, the YouTubes and everything else. So I think more than anything, a little bit of a rejoinder on how we're going to lay everything out. Of course, you can comment up on the, uh, the Facebook um, so we can do things like this where Hello, Casey. It's nice to see you uh, and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, we can also get from YouTube. I don't, I don't know who this guy is. Uh, I think he's important. But uh, anyways, we can throw up all of our different um, all of our different comments and everything as we go. I will be going through segments of the uh, Picard show and the three uh, the three major segments, of course, is the Picard maneuver, no pips, no problem, and the stargazer, where in the Picard maneuver, we orient ourselves to what happens in this episode and all of the new normals that we're going to be seeing that Picard has. Then, of course, we have no pips, no problem. Um, pretty sure given that interview, spoiler alert, by the way, everyone, spoiler alert, that... Uh, Jean-Luc isn't too big of a fan of Starfleet anymore. And so with regard to that, how is he going to act differently now that we aren't going to be having uh, pips on our... Oh, where There we are. Pips on, uh, on our collar. You can tell that I wouldn't have made a very good weatherman by me pointing at the wrong side under my microphone. Finally, we go into the Stargazer where we look into Picard's past and also into his future as well. And I'm excited especially to be seeing that because... Um, there's a lot of callbacks and there's a lot of things to look forward to. Picard is definitely not the same person. So I have my lovely and talented producer, Mr. Bill Smith as well. He is on the other side. Uh, he is the Roz to my Fraser. And of course I uh, always keep a uh, USS Bozeman nearby to pay homage to Dr. Fraser Crane. Well, folks, I think it's time we get started with what I like to call our very first segment, and we like to straighten things out with uh, what we just saw with what I like to call the Picard Maneuver. My uh, graceful, that was graceful. <laughs> what just happened, if uh, people did hear that, was a book fell while I stood up to actually do the Picard Maneuver. And uh, I'm in pretty tight quarters here. This is uh, basically a worker bee that I'm working in. So uh, if anything goes outside of the plan, well, here we are. Well, folks, I think the first thing we want to do in the Picard Maneuver is just get right down to what it's going to be. So we're going to be looking at new information, callbacks, and as Dan Davidson would say, the oblique moments. So I will briefly summarize the episode, uh, noting points that stood out 
pose a few questions uh, for you folks to comment on and just get a sense for the overall show. So let's begin. We start with music, and that's a really interesting way to start. We have Blue Skies, sung by Bing Crosby, of all people. And uh, I think that's that's sort of neat, to the taking us again back to the old crooners of Deep Space Nine and everything, which uh, may or may not have been intentional. I think pretty much all of it was. Data and Picard are having a game of cards, and Mars explodes. We then cut over to what looks to be just regular life on the winery, and an interview that is going to be had between Picard and basically their version, I think, of CNN. I think that um, we get a lot of calls to what basically is happening in the real world right now. The whole idea that we could be reacting to tragedy and looking forward to danger and not always making the best choices, either as individuals or as people in general. So from there, Picard, of course, has a pretty rough interview and eventually encounters a young lady who seems to have um, pretty uh, pretty good fighting skills, but also a sort of innate understanding that she knows that she needs to be with Jean-Luc Picard. Of course, this comes crashing down when the Romulans attack her yet again, and we lose her, which is sort of strange to think about until we find out that, in fact, she has a twin. So this is basically where things end off. We have an uncertain time. Picard is nursing his injuries from what was a extremely powerful explosion from the looks of it. And now we're sort of set not knowing exactly what to do. We finish off on a Borg cube or a Romulan Borg cube or a something is going on and I'm not too sure exactly what to think about that. I think maybe we can get uh, over to seeing what some of the comments are. What are some of the things that are being said by the folks while I have been going on here? Anyone talking about, oh, here we go. Connection to Denise Crosby, if it's Bing Crosby. I think that is also a very good one. Thank you very much, Legacy Trek. That is a cute idea. Let's see, we got some people from around the world in. Let's uh, quickly just say hello to everyone. That's very nice. Yes, the Picard autobiography was the sound of the book falling, so I'm going to have to pick that up later. Thank you very much, Dan, as well. I'm really happy that things are started out, too. And we've got some folks from Northern Ireland. Wonderful. It's uh, great to see you uh, from all the way across the pond. It's probably very early in the morning for you, so uh, rock on. Uh, that is great. Well, I'd posed you folks some questions, and I think we can start with that very, very first one, which was... Are we going to see a Starfleet that is in and of itself an enemy? Now, I did read some of um, some of the comments that were made on the on the Facebook page in the spoiler section of Camp Kittimer, and yeah, this isn't the first time that Starfleet has necessarily been the bad guys, or at least hinted at being the bad guys. Of course, we have a lot of callbacks to start where Picard very willingly walks away from the Federation to stand uh, um, stand apart from people who are going to be forcibly relocated without them knowing. Of course, that is a tough thing to uh, to consider in that respect. So if we are to take basically what we've seen overall in terms of Starfleet and how people are thinking, that interview actually, I think, says quite a lot. The interview itself takes us to, I think, something of an unrepentant humanity, where 
the lady, uh, the 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 lady who interviews Picard over and over again, talks about the idea that these weren't just lives; they 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 were just Romulan lives, right? Not not life, not human life, not Federation life, and Picard's trying to get her to stop uh, making that delineation. I think kind of might be a little bit jarring, uh, but obviously Picard needs a reason to leave. So what could this mean for Starfleet? I think we have our first comment. Brian Yates, thank you. He says here that I think Starfleet has become isolationist, perhaps even arguing an extreme view of the prime directive, not evil, but at odds with Picard. Yeah, I think that the prime directive can sometimes be sort of the um, the law of the land that can be also hid behind to not do the right thing. And I think that in a lot of cases, Starfleet can rest on its its use of the law as tried and tested and be able to hide behind that. That could be definitely a major point that um, that we could be seeing between Picard and Starfleet. I definitely found that his just indignation and i think he says that later on his his uh, going to nurse his dignity his his damaged dignity i think it is a matter of dignity in a lot of cases that people would want to be be something that is is something you know this isn't what i signed up for is typically something that i hear about from people uh oftentimes that um i don't think walking away from a crisis was something that picard uh signed up or didn't sign up for or something he didn't sign up for sorry it's interesting to think of uh, this man with his dog and the fact that here he is alone in a lot of cases, being kind of with himself without much. But he still sort of has a bit of a uh, a bit of a routine that 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 we can pick up from as well. So if I don't see any other uh, uh, comments here on uh, the the intro, and I think we can kind of get a little more deeper this time around when we look at the Picard maneuver, because I think in this case, he's got uh, a lot going um, for, for not being a part of Starfleet. So now is where we reorient ourselves, where we meet a man we haven't met in over 20 years. So I think it's time that we see kind of what has happened in those 20 years, right? Much like when he took matters into his own hands in interaction, in insurrection, uh, he is now in his second resignation. We now look at Picard without all of the rules of engagement laid out by Starfleet. So let's get started in the Picard maneuver and feel free to uh, comment on anything that I'm saying while I go through it. It's just going to be my mellifluous tones this time around. So perhaps there'll be uh, some more to talk about uh, later and we will possibly have guests on in the future too. So let's start with our next segment called no pips, no problem. So we start off, and I think the best way to start off with no pips, no problems, is the idea that even though you get away from some of the things you're supposed to do, there is still very much a routine to Picard's life. I like the way that he wakes up, you know, head to the side, he walks around his bed, and then he goes straight out and opens up uh, those lovely French doors into just a beautiful, uh, a beautiful picture of the uh, of the world. I almost think that uh, this wake up, uh, scene that seems to show life on a winery it, that it is kind of like life on a starship wrought with its routine in a lot of ways and i often think of while in heaven it seems picard dreams of hell and some of the regrets and the ghosts that follows him so 
is this a routine that he that he you know naturally seeks you know i mean a winery does have its its you know seasons for things it has specific tasks everyone has to take i think that's an interesting uh way to perhaps perhaps look at how life is is starting to happen for him but yeah he is uh he is definitely dreaming of a much darker place than where he actually is. I'd be interested to see what everyone's comments are and the idea that, that Picard runs away to some degree and he even kind of berates himself for it, or at least he walks away, but he doesn't walk very far, right? The, uh, the winery out uh, in, uh, uh, in, Fra- in France, I'm forgetting the actual name. I think it's, is it Navarre in France where he, uh, he has his winery? It's a uh, La Bar. Chief. La Bar. Oh my goodness. Lavar. LeVar Burton, who I still think we could possibly see. That would be pretty cool. I mean, the uh, the possibilities are, I guess, endless at this case. We we really could see a number of people before the series itself is over. Perhaps not this season, but the series. That would be a, uh, a pretty wicked thing. And also that lovely voice you just heard was Bill Smith. So maybe if we can continue on from that, um, I like the uh, the day to day life uh, as Picard goes in. One of his uh, Romulan assistants uh, is there, uh, and the news is on. And Picard asks for not a regular Earl Grey; he asks for an Earl Grey decaf. And I appreciate the um, just just sort of the level of of irreverence that that kind of puts us in, right? He he's not on duty anymore. So he doesn't have to keep himself up, I guess you could say any longer. And that's an important thing to think about. Yes. Bill who indeed. Hi, Jackie. I don't know either. He's some guy he's doing his thing. I'm not terribly sure. Let's see here. We've got another. This is actually something I was expecting. The countdown comic places Geordi on Mars just prior to the disaster. And if that is the case, I am going to be very, very upset that. Let's save that uh, comment for uh, for the Stargazer, though. I want to talk a bit more about the possibility of who we might be losing in this series as well. Because, again, much like Discovery and even TNG, we might not keep all of our characters. I mean, then DS9 is a whole other story. So back to my... Uh, Back to my talk on the no pips, no problem. And I think it's important that we bring up the interview because I found the interview to be really jarring. Um, it was really good, but boy, it it definitely gives the possibility that the Romulans are finally going to get their big story. I think they kind of almost got it in Enterprise, and uh, this might make up for uh, for some of that. So as we open up, the exchange becomes hostile pretty darn fast between uh, Picard and his interviewer. And he uses an analogy that it isn't actually some vanity project that he was doing to save Romulus and to, and to help people relocate. He talks of it more like Dunkirk. Now, for some of the people here uh, listening, you may not be familiar with Dunkirk. It was basically uh, at the start of the Second World War. Germany was making extremely quick inroads into Western Europe, and it was looking like all of the Western Front was going to fall to the hands of the Nazis pretty quickly. A uh, quick drink of water. I mean, tea Earl Grey hot. <clears throat> the uh, the port of Dunkirk was the last place the British soldiers were left, the British Expeditionary Force, and they were packed onto, onto the beach. The Christopher Nolan movie is not quite historically accurate in that sense. But I think what he's trying to say is 
in time of danger like that, it is all hands on deck, right? In Dunkirk, what had happened was owners of yachts were going out to save stranded British soldiers. Um, there were people fishing who then just rerouted their boats to go and help. So I find that, the first of all, the reporter's dehumanization of the Romulans is a problem, but it also sounds like Picard truly did everything he could, right? The vanity of the pyramids versus the humanity of Dunkirk. And I think that is the connection that he's trying to make in that regard. Let's have a look through some of these comments. Looks like everyone is talking about Jordi right now. I promise we're going to get back to that in the Stargazer for sure. Someone says, go Canada. Okay, thank you. Oh, it's Sarah. Thank you very much. I also do wonder as well if he doesn't have any pips, if he'll have any problems going on to the Borg ship. I think that's an important piece to what we might see coming up. Now, of course, Picard has a bit of the uh, uh, synthetic in him as well. So I wonder if that's going to play in, or perhaps that played in a little bit to his and Daja's connection. I want to pull up a title card that shows um, Picard and Dodge together. This scene really stuck out to me in the sense that uh, you can just see the, the the tension between them. But at the same time, what sort of softens the scene is that the fatherly vibe that Picard gives, right? And something that Dodge says that I really think is is us speaking. Uh, she says, everything inside me says that I'm safe with you. And I really think that that's the audience telling this to Picard. This has been a pretty rough start to the new year worldwide. We've had a lot of events take place um, that, and, and a lot of things have happened over the last while that has, I think, shaken a lot of people's view. And uh, I think Dan Ireland mentioned that, you know, um, he and Ken Ray are, are frustrated that, that Picard, that Picard, much like the rest of Star Trek, isn't necessarily seeing past the, um, what is right now. And I do think that's important. And I think that's a good point that we still want to see some hope out there. Um, maybe we'll get some more out of Picard and I'm pretty sure we, we do. And, and I almost wonder if we did, but I can talk about that a bit as well. But I do think about this disaster that, uh, that Picard has sort of parachuted into in the show. And he's also sort of parachuted back into our lives. And I always think back to the show, uh, the episode disaster when Picard is in that turbo lift. Uh, I was about at that age when the episode aired and it was true, uh, to me, Picard was in many ways, um, the the dad I wanted. He was the guy who made me feel safe. And it's actually kind of informed the way I teach and work with young people. With Picard, we're all safe. And I think we need him more than ever. And I wonder if this is a bit of a call from Patrick Stewart himself saying, hey guys, I'm here, you know, to sort of be with us in that respect. Someone has mentioned the idea that when he meets up with Dodge here, Phil Huffman says that there's a connection with him and the the Data Twins. And that's a good way of putting their name um, uh, together because I find their names difficult to say, but that's okay. We'll get better at them over time. I think there is some kind of connection and it has much to do, I think, with his Borg uh, remaining implants and, and everything beyond that. So that is a really good point uh, to bring up. So continuing on just sort of with that, uh, with that, I want to talk a bit about the 93,143 lives that were lost on Utopia Planitia. I mean, first of all, again, with, with Dosh saying everything inside of me says that I'm safe with you, I really think that um, 
we've lost our utopia. Uh, we have sort of done that. And I do wonder if perhaps that is exactly what is trying to be said here is a lot of things have been lost since we last saw Picard. And, um, I wonder if there's a significance to such a precise number. Of course, Star Trek is good for that, and I don't see any 47s, but 93,143 is interesting. Uh, they also say that they banned all synthetic life forms as well. And I think we, in a lot of cases, got our, our magic from watching Pinocchio uh, on TNG. So I do wonder sometimes the the purpose of a reporter coming a very long way, it seems, to just sort of flip John Luke the bird. But I also see perhaps why exactly we're here, right? If we've lost Utopia, then we don't want Picard to be in Utopia, in, in that that dystopia. We want him to um, to do something better, to do something more, right? When he says we withdrew and we called off the rescue, which was a criminal act, I would agree with him, right? But he finishes off with something that I think is important. He says to the reporter, you are a stranger to history. You're a stranger to war. I wonder sometimes if that is a call out to some of the socio-ludic style to our social media where, you know, I've heard people uh, make light of, of things that are happening around the world, right? Some of the scary things like the Australian fires um, or, you know, the, the potential of thermonuclear war between Pakistan and India. A lot of things could be happening that uh, could, could be quite scary, but there are some people who laugh at it and not in a productive or, or a positive kind of way. Uh, maybe also he's talking a bit about the flavor of their wheat crazes that, that I think we get caught up in. And if we've had so much time to continue that, there is the possibility that uh, Picard is right, that these people are strangers to the realities of things. And one of the greatest things that we owe each other is our empathy. Let's have a look at, see what we've got some more uh, uh, comments here. Ah, Thad, good point. She was looking for a controversial soundbite. And I wish that we would have gotten over that a lot sooner. But uh, apparently, uh, several hundred years into the future, we're still dealing with that. So I want to open up another title card, just talking specifically about Dodge herself in the no pips, no problem category. If we look at uh, at this character and the painting that Picard is trying to to put forward. I mean, there is no mistaking for one second. And I'm really glad that we don't do the mystery box thing. There is no real mystery to Dodge. We know exactly who she is when we need to know it. I mean, I would have wished to have known her uh, her boyfriend a lot better. He seemed interesting. Um, and to know Dodge a lot better as well. And I guess we will get to know her through her sister. Um, but at the same time, I think we're 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 trying to get through a lot of things really really quickly as a as a watching and listening audience and I think the production made it a little bit fast paced but if you really take time to look at that image you can see how she just fits that painting image almost perfectly so I'm a, I appreciate the fact that we don't have to guess on this one we can be with Picard in his certainty even if perhaps we end up getting a plot twist later who knows there could be more to this So let's jump a little bit more to some comments here. There's another one here by Kevin B. Coop that I like. Uh, Dodge's twin on board the ship is going to be saved by Picard. I'm pretty sure that's that's the likelihood, or at least he's going to make an attempt. Again, I'm not going to say necessarily if she is going to be saved, but uh, there is the possibility that uh, she'll at least encounter Picard. 
I asked a question as well uh, on the message board on Facebook, and I asked if perhaps we might see Hugh on this ship. Now, this was another point where in a, a long time ago, of course, uh, I, Borg, Picard meets Hugh and makes a decision after some convincing not to commit genocide on the Borg. I wonder how that is going to play if Hugh might end up being a villain. I don't know. I'm wondering if he's going to be a villain or not. I mean, I know as much as you guys, but uh, that would be a, a very interesting way to play him. He could be a hero. He could be a villain. He could be anything. So that is something that, again, we just have to unfortunately wait for. So with Mars still being on fire, I haven't really heard too many people uh, talk very much about this. And I do want to say that there is an interesting connection, I think, with the tragedy of Mars being destroyed and where the Daystrom Institute is located. Um, it's in Okinawa. And of course, fellow uh, Trekkie Network family member, Ali, the 24-year-old uh, Trekkie, I believe now, um, she is is down in Okinawa. And that was a pretty neat uh synchronicity for her i'm sure but uh, of course japan is the site where the only uh, thermonuclear attack ever took place twice in a state of war rather than in a state of research and interestingly how the synthetics were designed at the daystrom institute who then went over to destroy utopia uh, utopia planitia I think there's an interesting connection there. Maybe intentional, maybe not, but I do really feel like the writers are doing their utmost to get our attention in these sorts of ways, um, calling back to things and making these connections. I do have another question, though, and this could be something we could cover in the... Uh, my face is an interesting connection. Thank you very much, Bill Smith. I wonder, though, and... Uh, you know what? Yeah, my face is very interesting. Look at how interesting this face is. It's not as interesting as the uh, Enterprise cutaway, which I do have to say distracts me way more. And that's why it sits behind me rather than in front of me anymore. But uh, to get back to where I was going with this, the the idea that that the synths, that, um, that they might have some reason to destroy utopia planitia is is interesting to me i can't help but feel like there is some sort of three uh three connected um borg romulan synth thing going on and that is extremely concerning to me especially yeah at the end of that when the borg cube is there and you see romulan ships coming in out of it i mean i know they're desperate uh, after having their planet destroyed but holy crap that is playing with fire Yes. Let's have a look here. Arend MD Mays. Nice to see you here. I wonder why they never tried uh, putting the atmospheric fire out. Um, I was going to get to that, and that's a good a good question to ask. During the Trinity tests, way back in the uh, Second World War, uh, down in Nevada or New Mexico, I'm forgetting, they actually didn't know if the blast from the first nuclear explosion would light the O3, the ozone, on fire, uh, at least as far as I know. And so they kind of gambled a little bit. I think it was an educated guess, but for an atmosphere to catch fire, I know that there is at least maybe not possibility, but maybe plausibility, depending on what the environment is is composed of, I guess. Oh, we've got uh, Jamie McGregor from the Portland airport. I wouldn't say that last part uh, out loud, um, but uh, he says that I'm a very lovely fellow, and I appreciate that. Uh, um, you may worship me at the church of your choice, I guess, then. I am a god among men, he says. 
and I am having way too much fun with this, Phil. Uh, maybe that's me or maybe that's Bill. But this is a lot of fun. And I hope you guys are enjoying what we have so far. So in the no pips, no problem category, that is pretty much all we have. And we're already a half an hour in. So uh, if you do like what you're seeing, remember to uh, tickle that like button if you're on Facebook and share why or tickle that like button if you're on YouTube. And if you are on uh, on Facebook, share widely. Um, make sure you do that. So we uh, increase our reach and get as many people talking about the things we liked. So I'm going to move now into our third segment, the Stargazer. And this is where we look back at um, some of Picard's past. We look into what might be in the future. And this is where we start getting really comment heavy. So uh, of the 31 wonderful people who are currently having a look, feel free to comment whatever you'd like as I'm moving through here. And I can have a look at those as we go. So... First of all, I want to quickly just say, just sort of outside of uh, out of everything, the music in this is fantastic. I absolutely love that title sequence. It is Voyager-like in a lot of ways. So looking back, I think we've got a lot of really nice callbacks, the Voyager-like sound to it, very sort of um, wistful music. And it fits Picard really well, too. There's a bit of sadness um, in it, too. And and I think that's important to uh, to understand that this is... This is the end of a journey in a lot of cases, as much as it is the beginning of a final adventure in a lot of cases. So one thing I want to talk about, first of all, with Picard is the fact that he has been tested so many times. Um, he has been tested so incredibly heavily that I wonder if ultimately he he is someone who who maybe looks a little bit too much at his negative past, right? Um, there's a, a great scene where he's talking with the uh, the doctor uh, at the uh, Daystrom Institute, and you can tell that he really does regret what has happened. There's a really good sort of scene we picked um, that we can show you up on here where they're sort of sitting at a table talking to one another, um, Picard. And I'm just going to get the name. I'm still getting used to names, and I'm really bad with names, which is why I'm a teacher. Dognus, uh, Dr. Agnes Girardi and uh, Jean-Luc are sitting at a table together talking, and you can really feel like an entire opportunity has been lost, right? This this sort of empty conference room-like area with like sort of Ikea furniture. It kind of looks like a place you'd get a mortgage. And they really and seriously, that's it. They, they just talk kind of about what was and what isn't now. And they make a few points about Bruce Maddox. So when we talk about the past and the future, Bruce Maddox plays such a huge role in that one episode, Measure of a Man. It's, it's, a, it's absolutely amazing that, uh, that we get this connection to, to one episode. But the, the amount of weight that that episode had, I think it's important that we, we get that, that sense. As I return back to the music, we uh, we do quite uh, quite like the sound of the uh, the pan flute. There's a there's a bit of a pan flute that comes in and out there that makes me very excited. So my kind of big piece here is there's a couple of quotes that I want to make sure we we get our handle on here. And there's one that says, "There's no legacy as rich as honesty." And that's actually from a Shakespearean play called All's Well That Ends Well. Um, and that obviously connects to all good things. And um, I think that I think more of the greater quote uh, 
to, to kind of give us a bit more understanding here. It says, well, Diana, take heed from this French Earl. Of course, Picard is on a winery in France. The honor of a maid is her name. There is no, there is no legacy as rich as honesty. The honor of a maiden is her name. I almost get a bit of a crucible feeling here as well in the sense that, um, Picard will defend his mistakes and be open about those mistakes and maybe look at them too much. But the one thing that remains, and it remains even in the title of this episode, or sorry, the series, is the fact that it's called Picard. So he does. He has a very inner light. There was another piece here that uh, when Picard is talking um, with Dodge and she is mentioning memory. I think that's another important bit that we can add to the stargazer in, um, in the sense that she, she talks about something that she remembers and he says, Oh, you know, that's a wonderful memory, right? Um, it's yours and no one can touch it. No one can take it away. I don't know about you guys, but I really felt that, uh, as Phil Huffman would say, a very inner love, very very quickly uh, for me when he was saying that of course to someone who wasn't initiated uh, into the world of, of Jean-Luc Picard that just seems like a nice sentiment but of course I don't know about anyone else but I kind of went Ugh. I'm watching this uh, this with my partner who uh, doesn't really have much Trek connection actually the only TNG episode she's ever seen was the inner light so uh, thankfully she got that one little piece there but uh, imagine if someone hadn't seen it and then they watched this first episode and then you dear listener or dear viewer end up going and watching it with them and then you can kind of add that little connection that when he's talking to dodge he's not just speaking out of advice he's speaking from right in here um, and yeah the pan flute shows up in the music and i think that's really beautiful there is of course um that painting he wakes up in his routine and then it's this scene tng uniforms of course i'm pretty partial to these and he is asked by Data if he would like to finish the painting. And he says, I don't know how. And Data ends with, that's not true, sir. I really do think that um, what Picard doesn't know, he deeply does know. And it's the same reason why Dodge knows. It's the same reason why she goes all Jason Bourne. She has these things programmed in the back of her head. And I think that's good storytelling in the sense that what it's going to show is that inexorable link and the inexorable link uh, between life itself, right? What is life if it is not sentient? And if you're sentient, then you must be life, which again brings up the AI paradox. And uh, if AI ever went and tried to destroy us, like it tries to do apparently in Star Trek uh, Picard, it does kind of go against what the Federation has always sort of deemed as a given, right? The idea that the computer will do what we ask and it will do it with fidelity. I mean, there are times it doesn't, right? We always remember when uh, the original Enterprise called Kirk a jerk. Um, that's very important that the AI can in some cases malfunction. But I mean, it, it sowed a funny statement on the back of Captain Kirk's uh, uh, tunic. It didn't, uh, you know, you know, suck him out of an airlock or something like that. Well, I would be absolutely remiss if I did not bring up something very important to us. Hey, everybody. It looks like Barry's internet dropped. Um, so we are, I am here. Uh, and of course, that has already pointed out I'm wearing the wrong com, com badge and comments. So uh, as we wait for the lovely and talented Mr. DeFord to rejoin us, I'm sure he's swearing up a blue streak right now. Um, I, I'm going to... Uh, I actually pull up a comment of, of Thad's. Um, 
Yeah, I have to agree with that too. Um, I, I, they were, I think they were probably altered because they had to be, <laughs> you know, I guess a 20 plus years, 30 years, um, uh, you know, nothing fits right. I, I know that's true of me. Um, uh, but here I sit in my, you know, lovely, uh, fashioned, uh, Star Trek Picard tunic. Um, Hey Phil, how's it going? Um, <laughs> and, uh, mine doesn't quite fit right either necessarily. So, um, in fact, I see the lovely and talented Mr. DeFord rejoining us now. Look Hi, Barry. <laughs> Where did I disappear from? Um, uh, everywhere. Um, I encompass an eclipse. Yes, you did. I, I was, uh, just, uh, going over a com Thad's comment about uniforms as I was talking about mine with the incorrect com badge. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to give you a break, Bill, because the fact that you have such a fancy and wonderful uniform, and I won't tell anyone about the lovely poo, uh, uh, um, tutu you have underneath there. Right That's now, true. But, true. Yeah. Thank you, Phil. It is truly Canadian internet. Dude, this is ridiculous. So every now and again, I might disappear and then someone else will appear in my stead. So uh, we'll just deal with that as it comes. So anyway, I was talking about fansets. Did, uh, is that where we left? Uh, you, you were about to. You didn't actually utter the words yet. <sighs> All right. Well, let me get back to that. And I would be absolutely remiss if we didn't talk about our friends at Fansets. There are many ways to express your fan fandom, but if you are looking for artistry, care and attention to detail, and a friendly down-to-earth -earth customer service, you won't find anything better than the people at Fansets. They have so many Star Trek pins, I, I've lost count. But uh, if you check them out, there's going to be something for you, I guarantee it. And they span other genres as well, right? They span from uh, Alien to DC. And as an offer for Picard Live listeners, Fansets is offering a discount of 15% to any order while Picard Season 1 is on. Just enter Picard Live, that is all caps, P-A-C-A-R-D-L-I-V-E at checkout, and you will get your 15% off. And look at these fabulous uh, pins you can get to start. You've got the title card for Picard. You've got the Picard winery uh, emblem, which I think is just snazzy as heck. What a beautiful, uh, beautiful design. And then, of course, we've got number one and then number one's collar. I wish I could give my dog the number one collar, but uh, the, the little collar tag, but she tends to eat them so we have to keep them kind of slick to her body frustratingly so uh, maybe my bigger dog will get one but yeah i believe actually and dan is saying this right now the fanset says over 200 star trek pins that is more than ever also someone saying that my audio has been choppy thank you i appreciate that and i will we will see what we can do uh with regard to that now remember also if you do end up uh, not getting a quality experience this is also being recorded too um uh, i think we were uh, going to get it uh, some some way shape or form but uh, long and short of it is is uh, we will always try to keep the audio quality as good as possible but uh, that canadian internet y'all So I think from here, I'm going to spin. There we are. Karate choppy. Well, that is good to know, folks. Uh, we will do what we can with the sound. Moving forward, though, and thank you very much, fansets. We do. Uh, let's see here. There we go. So let's get right around back to some last little uh, sundries before I start looking heavily at some of the comments. And Bill, if you want to pop into any other places to uh, talk about that, that would be wonderful also. Uh, but my last little piece here is nostalgia. 
And this is our supplementals where we just kind of talk about whatever. And I think this one's really important. So if you folks didn't notice, um, we get a really lovely situation where Picard goes into a vault and he is looking for this painting. He's trying to see what he can find. And what do we get? But we get every single thing he has um, literally in a vault, right? It's all of that nostalgia. It's all of those things that we've come to know and to love. And Picard finds it in a sweet little vault, protected. And I think really it is kind of, um, for lack of a better term, a dog whistle from the writing staff saying they aren't going to mess with anything we love. I think it's very cute. And also, finally, I do have to say, it is great to see the Picard Day banner. Of course, there is a huge Romulan connection to that one uh, as well. That's, I think, from the episode of Pegasus. Um, am I right on that, Pegasus? You are. I think so. Ah, perfect. Ha! Take that, Dan Davidson. I can pick stuff up as well. Yes, this is true. Uh, Fansets is canon. Um, and yes, this is another one. Dan uh, Davidson says Fansets is the pin worn by Sir Pat Stewart in the episode. It's an actual Fansets pin, so really, really cool. There we are. Well, that's very kind of uh, the fine folks at, uh, at Fansets. Wow. I won on my own show. <laughs> so yes, that it, the uh, the episode is from Pegasus, which of course uh, implicates the Romulans in using the uh, the cloaking system that they can go through rocks. And the scariest way to die in space happens where you can basically get beamed into a rock kind of deal. Um, there's my five year mission uh, reference as well. Uh, if you uh, ever listen to Arena by uh, Five Year Mission, good friends friends of the show as well. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that we've got everything saved, it's in a vault, it's protected. There's a little holographic lady that can show up and protect it as well. So I do think that is super important to, to everyone to know. Ooh. Sorry. Glitch. Anyways, no, it's all good. That's uh, that's uh, a still from a uh, another part of the Picard show. So anyways, one last little piece that I want to get in before we uh, go straight on with um, just looking up some comments and bantering just a little bit. Um, I do wonder um, the 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 talk of Earl Grey tea I thought was really be good at the beginning with it being decaf at the next piece, though, the next brought. I didn't really buy that. Um, however, I do think that um, the, the necklace is a really neat tie-in to Daja's story. I do also wonder, though, if her mom was as well put together. She sort of seems like a non-playable character from Final Fantasy VII. Basically, she tells her daughter to close her eyes and be Data. Um, but I do wonder if, that's, if that is, of course, just basically... Dodge just seeing her own uh, programming, right? Maybe she's not. Maybe she's not even holding a communicator at all. Um, and I do wonder if some of that is going to come up later. Yes, inside of the vault, we also have from Legacy Trek the Cousteau, um, that is of course named after Jacques Cousteau, a famous French explorer, and the cap, yeah, which is the captain's yacht on the Enterprise D, famed from Insurrection. I also find it interesting that it shows up right at the beginning, and then of course the Stargazer is right out and prominent too. There were some other important bits within that, but I think the the thing I want to take away from that, everybody, is the fact that none of this nostalgia that we know and love is going to be lost. But uh, as we know with Dodge herself, we're not safe. I think a lot of other things just frankly won't be as safe as we would like them to be. 
let's see here. Is there anything else that I've got in my notes before I move on? Well, first of all, uh, the uh, the Warbirds, seeing the Romulan Warbirds again was really, really great. Um, the Romulan character who meets um, Soji, his name is Narek, I think we're going to see quite a bit with him. And the fact that he says he lost a brother, that is something that I want to really uh, dive into. And we can probably look at that more in Stargazer next time around. I Maybe um, that or um, maybe he'll actually show up in the Picard maneuver when we're just getting oriented. So here's hoping for the next episode. I do have to say, I'm unfortunately, I did not see the preview to the next episode. So your guess is as good as mine. Um, I would assume that perhaps uh, um, we'll have a bit more uh, coming out with some more stills and show pictures as they come along. So I think that's uh, I think that's it for me on my um, planned things to say. So let's start talking a little bit more on some of the comments. So Bill, have you found any comments out there that I'm not seeing that might be good to talk about? Well, you know, Barry, um, I want to go back to a comment that our friends at Fansets made just a, a, a tiny bit ago. Um, and, and that is this one. Um, if they respond uh, to Canadian internet, um, they're going to uh, give away one of the complete set of the Picard, the Picard pins that we showed earlier, which are uh, these bad boys right here. Wicked. So yeah, if you happen to make a comment in the comment thread about Canadian internet, we're going to put you all in a drawing and uh, somebody is going to get a full set of these pins direct from fan sets. We want to thank Lou and John, everyone there for telling me about that as we were broadcasting. Right. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, so, so that's definitely what I want to call out. Um, and uh, I, I do like Jamie McGregor's con comment of index because I've been going around saying index all day and Dan Davidson keeps showing up and that just explains Ugh. the, the, the lifelessness of artificial intelligence. Can you change your, your hologram avatars maybe like anything other than, oh, I mean like that, I, that robot that cleans up spills in Walmart, I'd take over Dan Davidson as my hologram. Uh, absolutely. And of course the, uh, the official Trek geeks mixologist, uh, Brooke Horton, Ooh. uh, this is a great comment that, uh, that she just gave in, uh, uh, how about Soji fixes broken people all day as a counselor or unassimilating Borg? I thought that was a really fascinating. Um, or what if she's aspect. Borgifying? That's the other question, right? She could be going in the other direction, right? Like, aren't aren't the Borg seeking perfection? So I don't know. Is she aware that she is a synth? Um, that would be an interesting uh, uh, a thought. But yeah, she fixes broken people. And and Sarah rules. I, I have to agree with Sarah, although I was hoping that the fish uh, mounted on the wall would be like a Billy Big Mouth bass um, singing Take Me to the River. Batteries are dying. Yeah, by the by the talking heads. Um, <laughs> yeah. That would have been fantastic. Um, that's yes. Um, your cohort on Politrex, also on the Trek oh, Geeks Network podcast, there he is. says uh, Canadian internet is like regular internet, but it apologizes to you every time it breaks. I wish we you had know, a rim I wish shot it apologized. Yeah. Yeah, I wish it apologized, actually, because I could use an apology, to be perfectly honest with you on that. But anyways. Well, that's... I apologize to you every single day. Uh, Carrie Hansen has a great comment. Quantum Archive, bigger on the inside. So it's a TARDIS. Yeah, was it? I, I just thought it was like a perspective thing, or or I just wasn't really paying attention to that. But um, yeah, I guess it must be. And, uh, and another comment from uh, from our end. Did they also ban sentient holograms? Because that index seemed dull. That's a yes. really great, great question. I hadn't considered that. Well, and also, I mean, just the way um, Daja's mom 
acts if she wasn't real. There does seem to be a little more, um, as I sort of said, non-playable character in a 16-bit video game, they seem a lot more, yeah. right? Like you couldn't ask them a complicated question because they would just like blink and be like, how may I help you? I, th I think it's because she was probably compromised or never real from the start of the conversation. I think that whomever was trying to get to Dodge um, made a mistake. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, this is a Canadian internet tastes of maple. It um, does. And the center, uh, and, and the center of the galaxy smells like raspberries <laughs> and the snozberries taste like snozberries. Exactly. Uh, Shashank is back. And this is a, this is a great comment. Uh, the story of how uh, Laris and Jaban meet in Picard is also in the, the Picard countdown comic series. Two of the three issues are out currently and uh, it's a fantastic series. It does give you some backstories to what's going on here. Uh, is it necessary to read? I think so because I love it. Um, but your mileage may vary. What do you think about the use of the Romulan language? Of course, we have those um, motorcyclists uh, who attacked um, Dodge. They speak sort of a, they speak what, what I would assume is Romulan, especially when you see one of their faces at the end of that one fight. I wonder, you know, are we going to get a, a sort of an articulation of Romulan in a way that we have with Klingon? I think that would be a really interesting, uh, interesting question. There was a, there was a little Easter egg that uh, I think Trek Corps brought out on Twitter earlier about the, um, the, the shuttle bay or whatever you want to call it. The, uh, the entrance to dock at the board cube and above it is a Romulan, uh, emblem that doesn't have the the bird holding the two worlds in each talons because of course of course mm. they're both gone from the supernova yeah. i thought that was a really interesting updating of that particular graphic um yeah. and interesting that they that they've taken that it makes me wonder what they're going to do with it yeah well i think dan garcia brings up a good point here wondering what happened to the doctor from voyager is uh is he considered enough of a synth or can they, you know, put some protocols on him and keep him around? That is another good question. Um, holy cow. That, that opens a lot up. It really does. Um, there's a whole world out there of things that, that we're not sure about, you know, do the dot sevens from, from discovery and, and the discovery enterprise still exist in the future. And what about them? Mm -hmm. um, cause they are in some level sentient to some degree, maybe, or perhaps they evolved that way. What about the exocomps? If there are any of those kicking around on earth, um, the exocomps, I forgot about them. They looked like characters from mystery science theater 3000 kind of, um, <laughs> I loved that episode. I mean, yeah, obviously it was done on a TV budget, but you know, the way the next generation, especially explored sentience, right? It explored sentience in the sense of creatures that are far beyond us, like the traveler, and then other creatures that sort of develop a sentience like the exocomps or watching Pinocchio, right? Watching uh, data become a real person. I mean, right. He's more human than human. And I will say that about Dodge as well. When I first saw her, her close up with her boyfriend, I, did you get that impression that it almost looked like they brushed it over with some digital enhancements to really kind of make her almost not like her, the uncanny Valley kind of thing happened with her? Uh, very possibly. Um, I, I was still just geeking out over the fact that future Boston was included somewhere. Um, <laughs> because I love seeing a city other than San Francisco in Star Trek. The fact that it's the one closest to me is just a, a little geek fest in my own heart. Mm -hmm. 
Well, there's enough people here. Uh, oh, here we are. I'm sure everyone noticed this, but Dodge's necklace pendant is two circles and she's a twin. That is exactly correct. And it's also kind of harkened me a little bit to the sciences. Before I knew all the things, I almost thought a little bit about the sciences insignia um, for uh, Starfleet, but uh, I was wrong. Here's a great comment from Legacy Trek. Is Barry's partner up the telephone pole a la Green Acres? Hashtag Canadian internet, eh? No, actually, uh, um, Shashank is tweeting right now. He's come to my house and he's actually, he's climbed up uh, the antenna of my house and he's holding uh, um, the antenna out as best as he can. Yes, we get to see non non uh, San Francisco cities. I think that's really important as well. Boston in the future. I wonder if, if this whole show is going to take place a lot off ship. Uh, and I don't I really have a problem with that. Uh, Christina Estes Werther. I was thinking Picard certainty when talking to Dr. Girardi, Girardi. God, I have a hard time saying that name about the possibility of a sentient synth was because he knows of Juliana Tainer, uh, Data's mother. I think that's a great comment. Yeah, no, definitely. And also Girardi makes an interesting kind of pause when she's like, oh, female. Yeah, I suppose you could do that. I think that's going to be an interesting sort of look as well. Future Boston complete with a Ferengi skyscraper. Or yeah. was it a Ferengi ad for Ferengi liquor like you saw on Deep Space Nine? Potentially. Just, just throwing that out there. And of course, fan sets uh, with the comment of the night. Tom Brady's <laughs> still playing. Uh, of course he is. I think at this point, though, he's on a cybernetic body and his brain or his head is floating in like a gefilte fish jar, like uh, all Star Trek actors end up on Futurama. <laughs> and uh, Ali Martinez, um, who we actually talked about earlier, her ears must have been burning. Um, yeah. Yes, she was freaking out about the Daystrom instance in Okinawa uh, because right. that's where she is. Ohio Gazamas. I hope you guys are doing all right down in uh, in Japan. Uh, and actually, that was our connection, right? The uh, fact that the Daystrom Institute is in the only country that has ever been attacked, I would say closest magnitude to the way Mars gets attacked. So uh, yeah, that's an interesting point to make, right? The idea that uh, there was, uh, was bad things that happened. Maybe there's a connection. Who knows? Uh, interesting comment from Brooke. I'll let you dissect that one since you host Politrex. Yeah, I agree with Dan that holograms would be gone. The reporters, uh, the reporters, uh, dismal of Romulan lives as lives, yeah, dismissal of Romulan lives as lives makes me think that we might be dealing with a nationalist federation, which would have decided that holograms and synths, along with other species, are lesser. Yes, there is a very scary element there where they are othering and they are using a tragedy and sort of a perceived uh, enemy uh, and very much painting with broad strokes. Helen Reed, good point. I'd like to see, uh, I'd like to know what the Vulcans are up to. Were they okay with Starfleet canceling the rescue operations? The Romulans are their cousins. I can't imagine what Vulcan must have been thinking. And I can't imagine what nations within the United Federation of Planets would have so much clout to actually hold off a humanitarian mission. I can't believe that. So I'm interested to see what the explanation is. And I really hope that uh, that explanation comes sooner than later. Debbie Smart Multisanti, the maker of a lot of our theater skippets uh, uh, polls on Camp Kittimer, says, I like seeing the expansion of the Trek universe, and that includes life on Earth, not Starfleet-wise. Yes, we get to see life on planet. We get to see people doing stuff and living their lives and just going about their day-to-day. -day. Oh, uh, Aaron, good point. You want to read that one, Bill? I'm going to take a sip of Trek Geek Juice. 
Oh yes, uh, I, I hope it's it's very tasty, Aaron Gallo. I hope Lore makes his way into the plot. Very interesting. Uh, could it happen? Yes, absolutely. I think it could. Um, but I, I that's that'd be the the best fake out of all time. We they yeah. they tell us we're getting data and surprise later on. We get Lore. I think that would be awesome. Um, yeah. Carrie Hansen in the 2009 Star Trek Countdown comic Nero ship was enhanced with Romulan slash Borg technology from their Doomsday Vault. Great point. I forgot about that. Holy crap. Yeah. Very good points. Marina, nice to see you. I agree with Dan as well. The holograms are allowed. We see one in the archives, but perhaps they are not given leeway to further and expand their programming like the EMH did. I do wonder what the doctor's standing is in 2399. I almost wonder if doctor probably would have just probably just downloaded his entire program onto a ship and just gotten out of Dodge. Um, he strikes me as that. Um, Nero's ship actually started in the prime timeline. So because you figure it, it went back to um, uh, George Kirk's time and that sort of incursion yeah. through the black hole time travel. So, um, so yes, it did. It, it started the alternate timeline, but it actually had to start in our prime timeline as we know it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a crossover in that respect. So yeah, we're the Romulans. I mean, they are like geographically by way of the galaxy closest to Borg space, right? So in that respect, maybe that could be, you know, they they have some something, some ace in the hole, right? The Romulans always do. And maybe to bring back to the concept that this whole show starts with, with a poker game. Um, that's a fascinating thought that we are not only playing poker, um, or at least in this case, um, Data and Picard are, and that of course is a big connector in TNG. I think that anytime you work or have to work against the Romulans, you are typically going to have to deal with a bit of bluffing, a little bit of subterfuge. And uh, depending on what the flop looks like, um, you might have to bluff your way through it. Uh, here's a great one. You know, uh, I was looking earlier at Brian Brophy, his IMDb page. That's the actor who played Bruce Maddox in the TNG season two episode, The Measure of a Man. And Jamie McGregor says, no one is talking about the likelihood of a Brian Brophy Brophy appearance. He's central to the plot and mysteriously disappeared. Um, I'm wondering if we're going to see Brian Brophy at all because he hasn't really done much uh, professionally as an actor on IMDb. Will it be recast? Mm -hmm. Will it be Maddox's consciousness in a synthetic body a la Ira Graves from also mm. from season two TNG? You know, to know him is to love him is to know him. Um, yeah. uh, we'll see. That could be an interesting uh, connector in the sense that, you know, does Brian Brophy want to come back, right? I mean, this is a very different television show, right? I mean, you look at the way it's produced, you look at the angles and the camera shots and everything like that. This isn't TV like we would have seen in the early 90s, I think, in a lot of cases. And um, you can definitely see the the crisper and slicker look um to uh to picard so yeah does he want to be in such a big production um i would welcome him back personally i think it'd be great debbie has said here that hoping that uh, seven will be able to reference the doctor good point holy cow see this is why you guys are on here you are so smart yeah i bet you i bet you she will i hope she will oh man that's great <laughs> uh dan garcia with the federation probably deconstruct the mobile hollow emitter they initially probably used them to expand hollow consciousness i wonder if they then controlled or completely banned the tech well if they're moving in that more draconian uh sort of way i 
they might just be doing that. I think we are not going to deal with bad morals this time. I think Starfleet itself is going to need uh, a bit of a redemption story. And maybe that's sort of why, right? It, why who but Space Dad should be the one to uh, to do that. I just want to say as well, I'm really excited that uh, uh, Bob Picardo is getting a lot of uh, conversation on Picard Live. I don't know if he was in anticipating that or if any of us were but yeah what about the doctor how you doing bob if you're out there um if you ever hear this uh, it would be nice to know that uh, that you're doing all right and if you're getting uh, any uh, any conversation from cbs studios that would be interesting as well. well all right speaking of doing all right you don't need me anymore because your canadian internet <laughs> maple flavored as it may be um <laughs> is is performing admirably we'll announce the uh, the winner of the fan sets uh, Picard pin set uh, tomorrow on Facebook and Twitter. Wonderful. Well, I think I'm going to give uh, two more last words here before we uh, before we call it a night. I do want to keep this broadcast to about an hour um, every every night, just because we all have things we need to do, and the conversation can always continue. And you folks uh, are always wonderful for that. So I'm going to go here. Uh, just because it's it's cool. Uh, Ali is saying that she hosted a watch party of remembrance with many friends that had never uh, uh, had any exposure to the Star Trek universe. While they didn't pick up on the Easter eggs, they were still genuinely interested and intrigued by the first episode. I think Picard would be a great way to introduce new Trekkies to the franchise. I fully agree, Ali. This is our gateway drug. This is a brand new gateway drug. Discovery uh, did a fantastic job lacing the track over the last two years. And as we see more Trek come on, this is always a wonderful opportunity for people to look back and uh, gaze backwards into all of the entertaining and wonderful things that uh, that this franchise has already done. I will uh, quickly say a Picardo Live, perhaps, perhaps maybe not. Last one to you, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. McGregor. Let's see here. Interesting that they don't have to pay her, given they mentioned the character. What are you talking about? Bill, do you know what he's talking about? talking about uh, Bruce Maddox. He was a character created in The Measure of a Man, uh, written mm -hmm. by Melinda Snodgrass. Um, they don't necessarily have to pay her for that, mm -hmm. um, uh, but uh, if they use him, they might have to. Um, think of it this way. Gene Kuhn, I'm sure, never got paid for mentions of Klingons in any episodes or for any appearances. So mm -hmm. um, I know that some of the rules are, have changed since then. Ah. Um, if they use the character, they would probably have to. Oh, and look at Marina. I'm stealing her thunder. Yeah, she um, she says here. Yeah, they they would have to. They actually use the character. I.e., the character actually appears. Just mentioning doesn't count. And then she says here it's a reply. So that is a good uh, good point. Chris Condon, you've uh, brought in uh, the last word here. I think that is also good here. My wife and I watched it twice, and the second time she had me pause out and point out all of the Easter eggs and references. That is a a, a Trekkie's absolute dream isn't it to uh, to have someone say like okay well what does that mean and then you can go down all of the amazing rabbit holes and then start your rewatch of i mean pretty much anywhere in uh, tng so i think with that we will uh, begin our uh, our wind down i just have to open up just a second here there we are the joys of live television or live youtubing is uh, I, we have these little breaks every now and again so Next week on Picard Live, we'll consider the second episode of Star Trek Picard titled Maps and Le Network, or <laughs> Maps and Legends. There we are. Trek Geek Network, uh, on the Trek Geeks Network, uh, if you want more great Star Trek discussion, check out the other podcasts on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or even on trekgeek.com. 
Plus, if you can't attend the live, live stream on any given week, fret not. You can download the audio version of this podcast the next day. Just search for Trek Geeks Picard Live on your favorite podcast platform. And it says here on the uh, script to uh, say goodnight, Barry. So uh, goodnight, Barry. And we hope you all live long and prosper. And I look forward to seeing what's out there with the rest of you. Good night.